So this is the last, um, last of our spiritual discipline sessions for this year, which we ran through our big groups. We only did three this year, not four. Um, the plan is that we would do, we would speak on on Sabbath fasting, prayer, and the Word of God um, every, every year in our big groups until we feel God say that season changes. Uh, this year we spoke about Sabbath and fasting and now the Word. For the last two years we've been doing that. Um, and I'm very encouraged to hear stories of how, especially when it comes to Sabbath and fasting, how that, those things have made a very big impact, impact on many of your lives. Um, and it's become a conversation in our midst that has um, brought about wonderful fruit. And um, I trust that this would do the same, that your hunger for the Word of God would be stirred once again. When we are born again, <clears throat> when we are born again, part of the new creation inside of us yearns for the Word of God. It yearns for Jesus, who is the Word of God in the written form, the written Word of God. Our spirits yearn for that by default. And sometimes the flesh can cover that up and so we don't recognize we yearn for it or we put it off. But deep inside we have very deep longing. And for many of us it's, it's clear if you'd ask yourself in your heart of hearts which you really want to know and understand and obey the word then the one who's born again would answer, yes, I would. Um, and so how hard that is is a different thing. But the fact that you answer so that you answer that question in that way is just another confirmation of the fact that you've been born again. Um, and we don't only have that desire for the Word of God deep inside of us in the new creation, but we also receive the Holy Spirit, which is our teacher. The Scripture actually says you need no man to teach you because you have the Spirit to teach you. The Word actually says that. So you don't need me or anyone else. You don't need me. It is given in this way so that it is good for us. It's a blessing to us. We learn from people. But you actually don't need anyone because you've got the Holy Spirit as your teacher. So you've got the Holy Spirit to interpret the Word of God to you with the desire for it. And that should make great combination. Um, that should make for a great combination. So... That's my little intro that I just received while we were worshiping. And now I would like you to quickly look at a video. A few of you have probably seen this, but uh, it's just a good, it's a good encouragement and we'll take it from there. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from eight to 80, they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. And we're in the scripture four times a week. It something radically happened. Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang Wait, four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. 
Okay. So what that study showed is that it's uh, r rather insignificant, the effects, if you read it once a week, twice a week, but for some reason once you read it four times a week, the, everyone who reads it four times a week has got scores that much lower than the rest of the population and all, all those things. And it's just, it's just part of the confirmation for us that we're made to live by the word of God. We made, we made for it. It's like we made to plug into the word of God and then life works a lot better for us um, if we live according. So um, do you think that you will be reading the Bible for the rest of your life? Hands up. Who thinks so? Okay, so if you're going to do anything for the rest of your life, would you want to do it well or not well? Okay, so if you're going to do anything for the rest of your life, you better learn how to do it well. Okay, so that's not what I'm going to do tonight. I'm not going to give you the complete guide on how to do it well. I'm going to give you a couple of cool pointers, some things you know, some things you maybe did not know. But that's your job to make sure that this thing that you'll do for the rest of your life, that you learn to do it well. All right, common sense. Oftentimes I hear people say, well, it's f I'm not that kind of a person or I struggle to read because it's, it's written in high English and I'm, maybe I'm not that great with languages, so it's a difficult thing for me. I don't, I'm, maybe I don't feel I'm educated enough to understand the Word of God. Um, I'm not theologically educated, so I, um, I want to add a guy come to me say he wants to he wants to do Bible school. Um, and I said, and we had a conversation about it, and I said, so how do you currently study the Word of God? And he said, I don't. So I said, but why do you want to do Bible school? He said, because I really want to know the Word of God. I said, but why don't you read it? Because he said he doesn't read it at all, ever. He's never read it. But he desperately wants to do Bible school to understand the Bible. I said, but how does this work? He said, no, but he just feels like he would mess it up if he reads it. So he doesn't. He rather just wants someone to tell him what, what's going on there. Um, and I'm sure that not all of you have got that attitude towards it. But in this, if we read Psalm 119, verse 130, we see something beautiful. The unfolding of your words give light. Psalm 119 is all about the word. The unfolding of your words gives light. Another or, or interpretation of what that means is the, the entrance of your words into me gives light. So when your words enter into me, it gives me light. So what we just saw in that study, when your words enter, then there's light. Then a lot of those darkness and a lot of things just go away. It's not only light to show you your way. We know that, that your word is a lamp to our feet, but it gives us light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Your word imparts understanding to the simple. So it's, it's definitely not only for the scholar. Can you see that? Even the simple person who didn't study theology, like me, it, so it is for the simple, and it imparts, Imparts understanding. Now, impartation is a supernatural thing that happens. If you spend a lot of time with someone and say they pray for you a lot, then you receive from them, you, you get impartation from them. And the same thing happens. Your word, 
the word imparts to us. It changes us. The word is Jesus, so it's Jesus encountering us. And when we encounter him, we change. So, so it imparts that understanding to us. It, it, it imparts something supernatural to us. It's not ours to have to understand full well. The word imparts understanding unto us. The word is active. It's alive. It's not only something you have to do something with this word. The word itself imparts understanding to you because it's alive. It's not just any text. Any other text, you would have to farm to get something. The word actually gives light and imparts even to the simple. So it's for all of us. Um, we're going to speak about how to read the word well and, um, and, and, and how to interpret the word well. And that is a word, hermeneutics. I'm sure some of you have heard about it, but uh, now you can, if you haven't, then you can feel really smart and remember this word, hermeneutics. It's the science and art of biblical interpretation. Not only biblical interpretation, it's, you can use it to interpret, or it's, it's a word that you would use, like scholars would use to, in, um, if you want to understand hieroglyphics, then hermeneutics, there would be hermeneutics on how to understand hieroglyphics. Hello, Janus and Laura. Bye, welcome. That's why I like it You don't have to worry. I won't make that joke with everyone who comes late. I know who I can make the joke with. So I don't feel next time that you're late, I'm not going to gonna come in because he's going to make a joke with me. I know, know my customers, okay? So <clears throat> anyway. Hermeneutics is the science and art of interpretation of texts. In our case, the biblical text. Um, Luke 10, we read, and, and, uh, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading on it? means you can read this thing a few ways, and Jesus knew that some of the Pharisees and the scribes of that day were not reading it the right way. So their interpretation of the scriptures wasn't right. So there is a helpful and un unhelpful way to read and un understand the word of God, and we need to be schooled in the right way. We also read in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16, um, can I continue from there? As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you, as also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, um, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they also do to the rest of Scripture. So, untaught, unstable people can twist the Scriptures to their own liking and make of it whatever they want. So, just because someone uses a Scripture doesn't mean that it's the truth. Um, and so, we have to first establish who is this person. Is this person unstable? able person or do I know the fruits of this person's life not one I don't want to go down rabbit holes but you cannot you cannot confidently listen and receive from teachers online if you don't know their lives if you don't know their marriages you don't know their way with their children you don't know if they would love you if they see you if they would be proud and arrogant and walk straight past you or you don't know we have to test to know 
profits by the fruit. In the same way, if we can test and know, we can receive. If we can't, we shouldn't. Because there might be someone unstable that's twisting it to their own destruction. Um, the Bible can thus destroy us and you if we don't interpret it the right way. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15 um, says that uh, we should be diligent to present ourselves, yourself, to, to Timothy, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The disciple of Paul, Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, you should make disciples and teach them everything I taught you. And he said, those men should find other men to teach them as well. And this would be one of the things that he would teach all his disciples as Timothy, as Timothy was taught by Paul, that you should be diligent, a worker that can rightly divide the word of truth. That's part of our job as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to get into the word and be able to divide it rightly. And it's not that complicated because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. So if you forget everything else I say and you just remember this, if you open up your Bible with a pure longing in your heart to become like Jesus and you say, Holy Spirit, teach me, and you read, that's, that would be fine, okay? You don't have to worry then. You don't have to worry that you'll be unstable and interpreting things wrong and go off the rails. If you would come to God with a pure heart, say, Holy Spirit, teach me. That's great. Okay, so don't be scared of this. Don't feel like you have to have a master's degree before you'll be able to do this. Because hermeneutics doesn't start with the Bible. It starts with you. It starts with our hearts. The seed that is sown in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word. It's sown on many different places. The heart that is right is the one in which the word bears fruit. So it's your heart to be like God that helps. That's the first and most important part of hermeneutics. Interpreting the Bible correctly is to have a heart that really wants to be like Jesus. Okay? To have a heart, a soft heart before him that really wants to be like Jesus. So a practical tip is to consecrate yourself and submit yourself to the Holy Spirit before you read. Um, I do it most of the time before I read. Um, I do it mostly before I preach. As I said on the, on the camp, a habit to have is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is to continually ask the Father. I say, oh Lord, I desire. Oh Lord, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be able to be drenched in your Holy Spirit now for the purposes of this. I don't want to read the word of God now without you. I don't want to preach without you. I don't want to walk into that meeting without the power of your Holy Spirit in me. So that goes for reading the word as well. Um, uh, just a few principles. Then we're going to get into reading the Bible and kinds of translations and things like that and then we're going to look at a um, just a model for how to interpret the word and what you read well um, but just a few things I wanted to say before that uh, yeah that's that's where all these are coming from so they might feel random but we're going to get into more of a routine just now I think um, who of you I just want I wanted to ask this as well who of you remembers this slide deck the one that says intimacy at the Bottom. Hands up if you remember this slide deck. 
Hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up. One, two, three, four. That's how quickly our church changes. It was about five years ago that we did this series where the whole year we used this slide deck. Um, but I'm not sure that many of you w w weren't here five years ago. That's how the, that's 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 how Cape Town works. It seems um, interesting. Anyway, so you know where I got my slides from. It's old stuff. This, okay, as is the Bible. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. What a great tip for us to remember that the sum of the word is truth. So we need to know the sum of the word. We can't pick out lone scriptures and say that's the truth because there's three verses that says that. So what are you going to say about that? There's a lot of things we can read, and if we only read those three verses and say that's the truth, we would, fully, we would be missing it wholeheartedly. For one, things are written to different contexts, a different occasions for another some things are written as poetry or songs and so we can't just take a few things and interpret them for what they are we need to have a view on scripture and when you want to know something about something you need to look at what the bible says about it holistically okay not just the one scripture so the the sum of your words so if you haven't read the bible front to back please do that at some stage in your life Okay, please do that at some stage. The moment you've done it, you get a bird's eye view of the word of God. You know where the, which prophet more or less fits in with, with which king and if Moses came before Samuel. Okay? Or, or, or Abraham after Noah. You, you just start to put things into perspective and when you read in the New Testament and Paul writing about... Abraham and about Noah, then you know exactly you know a bit more about where that is, where that comes from. Okay. Last random principle to just prove that point, Hebrews 1.11. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time passed to the fathers by the prophets. The Bible is written. Some of it um, is narrative. Some of it is like a history book that they, they just wrote up history so that people would be able to remember it. Some of it is songs. Some of it is poetry. And some of it's teachings. And there are quite a few others. But they there's different, in different ways, the word of God speaks to us. So the Psalms, we often read them, but they're supposed to be sung. And poetry, we don't catch the poetry because in Hebrew it's a, a poem, but if we would translate your Afrikaans, poem, Afrikaans poems into Swahili, it wouldn't sound like a poem anymore. But it would have the same words, it would have the same meaning, but it wouldn't have the same meaning. Because it wouldn't have the same rhythm, it wouldn't have the same rhyming, it wouldn't have the same alliterations and all those kind of things that we miss out on because we don't read the Hebrew. But we just need to at least understand, while we're still learning the Hebrew, we just need to understand what, is, what am I reading? 
am I reading poetry or am I reading a teaching or am I reading a history book? What am I reading? Um, and that you can easily find in your study Bibles or using Bible Project and all those kind of things. You can understand the way in which that specific, specific portion is written. Okay. So, I hope those r random inputs that I gave there were helpful. Anyone learned anything? Okay. Even Byron said yes. I'm doing a great job. All right, so next thing I want to talk about quickly is Bible translation comparisons, okay? Um, so we get different um, ways in which the Bible is translated, and it's not, it's not better or worse, it's different, okay? It's not better or worse, it's different. Some are worse because they are done worse. Some are good because they are done a bit better, but it's not because of this. Um, it's not. Be it. It. Um, yeah. We just have to use the right translation in the right way. So on the one hand, you get word-for-word -word translations. So those translations are the ones who take a sentence in the Greek, let's say, and takes each word and tries to, co to, to form that sentence with using English words. They maybe change the, the, the order of the words because our orders in English is different, but they use the same words as the ones that are in the original text, and they put them into a sentence that makes coherent sense. That's why sometimes you read scriptures that doesn't seem to make that much sense in English, but somehow we know them, but we don't know what it means, or we wouldn't say that ever in English. So those are word-for-word -word translations. They are great if you really want to study the word because you want to read and go, I wonder what that word, I wonder what the word love, I wonder which one it is. I wonder what word for faith is using. I wonder what name of God he's using. So then you, you, could, you could see the word and you could more easily go to your interlinear translation and see what exactly is going on. So it's a direct word-for-word -word translation. It's great for in-depth Bible study. Um, examples that we use a lot is the ESV, uh, the New King James as well, Amplified. There's quite a few word-for-words. I love, I love the ESV. Makes a lot of sense for me. I think it's really well done. Um, I want to speak about interlinear that's there way on the left. I'll do that just now because interlinear is an incredibly powerful tool that I use a lot, and I think you can use it as well. Um, but those are examples of word for word. And then you get thought for thought translations like the NIV, which I think a lot of you also might like the HCSB or any of those other translations, but the NIV is something I really like alongside the ESV. If I read the ESV and I want to understand a bit better, I go to the NIV, I put them next to each other. Um, and after that, I go to the Greek. Um, no, I will, it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. I will show you now. Okay? It's not that difficult, really. It's very easy. I'm going to show you right now. Okay? <laughs> I don't read the Greek. I just see the word that I want to know what it means, okay? ESV, NIV. Okay. 
and then the Greek. You'll think about it, man. Yeah. So thought for thought is basically taking that same sentence that we just translated word for word in the previous one and, and trying to say what is what were they trying to say with this sentence and what would the what would we say if we wanted to say that without losing any of what they were trying to say. It's very difficult. But they don't necessarily use the same words. They try to say the same thing. But they give themselves the freedom to use slightly different words if they feel we will understand that. Now, obviously, it gets a bit tricky because of different cultures and context in the way that you would say it in the U.S. not the same you'd say it in Australia. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, you have to also see where is this thing written. Is it U.K.? Is it U.S.? Da, 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 that helps you to understand a bit better when it comes to things like thought for thought. Um, and then you get paraphrases. Um, the message translation would be the, and would be the best example of it. Um, the, uh, the passion translation that a lot of people use these days is also a paraphrase translation. <coughs> so it's really going far in trying to capture the essence of what is written, rewriting it in modern English. So it does not say exactly what the word says. It tries to capture the heart and essence and writes it in its own way, okay? It has a place, especially if you read Old Testament stories, it's nice to read them in the message. It makes more sense, it flows a bit easier. But if you wanna read the teachings of Jesus, it's often less helpful because they make things nice and mushy and poetic, and you think Jesus said that, but he didn't say that. You need to go and understand what he really said. So um, everything has its place, and we should use the right things for the right thing. So just a word on the Passion Translation. I do see it as a kind of a paraphrase. It's predominantly written by one guy. It's got a couple of helpers, but if you look at other translations of the Bible that's done well, it takes like hundreds of guys over years to write one. So the message written by Eugene Peterson, the Passion Translation written by the guy whose name I just forgot, those are great, but don't use it as your primary tool for study. Okay. And also, I don't know that guy that well. I know Eugene Peterson. It isn't a little bit better. He already passed away, and he didn't mess up in any horrible way. So that's probably more safe. But anyway, I would advise you use a good word for word and a good thought for thought for your main study of the Bible. I love to use ESV and NIV. Um, then when I go to the Greek, okay, um, I want to teach you something that's really helpful to me. So you see right at no, 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 go back to the, you see that word interlinear. You know what interlinear means? Interlinear is a translation where you've got the English and the Hebrew or Greek underneath each other. So it's written in Greek, and then under that you've got the English word that translates directly into that word. So when you read the English, it doesn't make sense at all. It's mixed up, but at least you can see exactly what word is what word. So if you, if you just 
you can Google any scripture. I take out your phone, I want to show you how easy it is. Okay? Google any scripture. Let's take um, Matthew 1 verse 1 and say, Matt 1 verse 1, interlinear. Just Google that. Matt 1 verse 1, interlinear. Okay, are you getting some results on Google? Are you seeing one from Bible Hub? Okay, now click on Bible Hub's one. It should open up a page that looks like that next one. Can you see that next one, low? Or uh, Yaku, next one, there we go. It should look like that. Could you find it? Hands up? You, okay, you could more or less find it. So it looks like that. Okay, so you see the Greek, and under that you see the English word that corresponds. So, but this doesn't yet help a lot, because what does that word mean? So you want to know what that word means, you click on the number. That number is the Strong's Concordance. That's the, they gave numbers to all the Greek words, and those numbers is the Strong's Concordance number. So if you click on it, Click on the, any one of those were of those numbers of those words, and I clicked on Jesus. So if you go to the next one, it should open up the Strong's Concordance. Could you find it? All right. So now you can see what that specific. You could see a definition of that specific Greek word. By donkey genre. You could see a definition of that specific. Greek word, where it comes from, and da, da 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 and a little bit more background and context. You can then ask Google how to translate it. If you have to preach about it, then you don't know how to say it. When we were in India now, our taxi driver asked us what language do we speak. So we said Afrikaans. So he did something on his phone, and then he seemed like he recorded a voice note and then his phone was connected to his to his car and then he played it back to us in Afrikaans <laughs> so then we had because he couldn't speak English so then we had conversations with him the whole time uh, via some translate app probably Google Translate and then um, it was quite funny but anyway this is the same but it's different so can you see how you can very easily, if you read the word and you wonder, I wonder what that word meant in, means in Greek, how you can very easily arrive at that conclusion? You just, the easiest way, I mean, there's a lot of, there's apps for this and there's what, what, what. I just don't like stuff that I need more logins for. So then I just Google, okay? So this is the easiest way for me. I say, Matt, one, one, I go to, Bible Hub, I click on the number, I read it. From there, you can actually take that Greek word if you want and put that thing in into Google and do more searches. You just need to make sure that you read things from people that you more or less fine with and not just absolutely everything that's out there. But to understand what's going on, you can do your research and study more on it. Is that helpful? Okay. That's um, more or less what I meant when I said Greek. Then, <coughs> let's,
let's make hermeneutics very simple. This is what I want to end with. Let's make hermeneutics very simple. So how do I, how can I make sure that I that I rightly interpret what I'm reading? So here's a couple of questions you can ask yourself. You do rather well to ask yourself any one of them or just a few of them as you read. So if you open up a specific, bi a specific book of the Bible, you want to ask yourself who, what, when, where, why, and how. Okay? You don't have to rem remember that. Just remember a lot of things with a W and you would hit most of it. Um, those sh short words with a W and you'll hit most of it. But what, what you need to know, the first thing is, who is writing here? Who is that? that is writing. Most of the time we know that in Scripture. Most of the time we know the author. Sometimes we don't. Like the book of Hebrews, we don't. And some others we're not sure. But if you know the author and know who the author was and what his vibe was, was he a king? Was he a prophet? Was he, uh, what, who was he? It gives you insight into what he was trying to do and the way that he would probably Right. Who was writing and to whom did he write? Who did who was the audience? Who did he, he write this for? When he wrote it, who did he envisage would read it? So if you put yourself into those shoes and think, okay, if that guy wrote this to this people, wanting them to read it in this place in this specific time, what would he have been wanting them to see or read or hear from that? Why did he do it? What did he want the audience to know? Okay? That puts you in, that helps to put you in the right frame of mind. Because what we sometimes do is we come to the scripture with where we are at, with our emotions, our state, and we just want the words to speak straight to us, which is an ineffective way of using the word of God. It's a better way to find out what, what was that, what was happening between the author and the audience. And there's a few other things as well. So you can have an adequate understanding if that would apply to your context. And then you could use it. So often we would just throw around Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. God has promised good things for you. He wants you to have a good flesh in the future. And that's lovely, but just go read the context of it. It's a different story and you'd be much more careful to just throw it out to every, everyone. Because we can't take scripture and throw it on our emotions. We need to understand the emotion of the scripture and see if we can relate to it. And then it would be right. If we say, oh, but I feel this way. That's, that's, I, I would understand what it means and I feel this way too right now. Like, then you can maybe interpret it directly to yourself much better. Okay? Um... Ask yourself what, uh, I've already kind of said this, but what was the message for the intended audience and what was the, their state? So, I mean, if they were in, um, if they were in Israel, but they were not, they were busy sinning badly or they were in Egypt, they were being, they were slaves or if they were in uh, Babylon in exile, those are different, different states. The people receiving it are in and you need to put yourself in those shoes to understand what is being said here. 
it is helpful to understand when it was written um, and if what is written refers to the past, the present, or the future. So am I writing to tell you what happened? Am I writing to tell you what is going on right now? Like the church in Galatians that is messing up right now, and I'm speaking straight into that situation. Or am I, is this about future events? Am I, Daniel, prophesying about things that is yet to come? What are they saying? You need to understand what this is. Um, as you read and as you ask yourself these questions, the interpretation sometimes becomes obvious and much more clear. And you start to, all these things help me to feel the word. Do not only read it, but to see, aha, that's what he was, that's what he was going through. That's what they were feeling. Um, and when you can see it and feel it and put yourself into it, the ch chances are that you would be able to understand it rightly. Okay, if you just come from where you are and hop onto the words, chances are you won't understand it that well, you won't interpret it that well. But if you can go and feel what they, what they felt and put yourself into it. Some people actually immerse themselves into the narrative so they close their eyes and they imagine they're in the war. So they would imagine like chariots running around or whatever the case might be and the the worshippers going out in front and hearing the sound, see walking over the hill and seeing all the enemy, all the enemy dead already. So, living yourself into it, it might be helpful for some of you. Um, I thought it would be helpful for me, but I, I don't really, I don't really get that right. Um, where does it take place? So, once you work through the Word of God, then certain places have more meaning and you understand what the meaning is and sometimes when poets in the bible uh, refer to certain places in the bible then you need to go read what happened at that place why are they speaking about gilgal why are they speaking about beersheba what happened there what's the what what's because when they said that as a poet, uh, prophetic poem then the Israelites understood what they were talking about because they felt that defeat on that day when everyone died. So that makes that means if they would have read it, they would have felt so much different about it than what you do if you don't understand that and you just think it's some random name that I can't pronounce. Where did it happen? And it's not always a physical location. Um, might even be internal locations like heart or mind. Um, and... You need to understand what, where the author is at when he's writing and what is he speaking about. Why, why was this written? Okay, and you can just, maybe we've already spoken about enough of this. Um, and then how are things written? We've also spoken about this, that there are different ways in which it is written and you can't interpret them all the same way. You can't interpret them all the same way. So you can't say, I take the Bible literally and then you interpret um, poetry literally. You can't do that. That's wrong. Okay? It's not how it's supposed to be. It wasn't written like that. Um, actually, the Hebrew is so much more complex than what we can understand through our, our Greek Western ways of thinking. We want to know A, B, C, right, wrong, one, two, three, this is how it works. Um, we like to plant orchards 
but the Hebrews like to plant like to plant forests, and it's just not the same way. So it just doesn't make as much sense. But if you could feel it, you could understand it better. And for those reasons, it's important for us to ask ourselves these questions when we're working through the Word of God. Okay. So um, that is more or less what I wanted to say tonight. And I hope I encouraged you and your inner man to get stuck into the Word four times a week or more. And I hope that there's one or two or three things that you picked up that could help you do that with um, a great level of understanding. Um, I make mention of this scripture a lot, I know, but James 1.22 said that we should be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving ourselves. The one who hears the word but he doesn't do it, it's like one who built his house on the sand. Um, so if you hear the word of God and you don't put it into practice, the rains will come, the floods will come, and your house will fall down. But if you're someone that doesn't only hear it, but you actually do it, um, your house will not fall and you will not be deceived. So one of the best ways, one of the best ways to ensure that you're interpreting the word correctly is to make sure that you're not deceived because a deceived person would understand the word wrong, right? So how do you not get deceived? Well, you obey the word that you've heard because if you continue hearing it and you don't obey it, the scripture says you're going to get deceived because you're reading ultimate truth, but with your life, you're rejecting ultimate truth. So you're saying, I like ultimate truth, but you don't do you don't respond to ultimate truth like it is ultimate truth. Then your mind gets mixed up and it doesn't understand what you mean when you say ultimate truth, and therefore you get deceived. Um, so make sure that you are doers of this word and not only hearers, otherwise your hermeneutic might also be out. Okay. So that's what I had in my heart around the spiritual discipline of reading the Word of God. And I wanted to just end off in here if there are any specific questions that you maybe want answering. Um, not, I don't know if I'd be able to answer them, but I'd love to try. I haven't. Mm. No, I would just do my homework on it. If I were you, I'd just reading up on it. Yeah? <laughs> Low things it might be satanic. <laughs> but um, if, if it's written by a guy in Cape Town, well, doesn't matter where. I think Cape Town makes him probably, um, gives it a high likelihood of being a wonderful translation. But the fact that it's one guy would have me worried to start with. Yeah. I would, I would, I would just stick to the ones I know are really good. Yeah. 
Yes. It is word to words. I just put in brackets more of the meaning of the word. So they would take some of what you would see in the Strong's definition and put that in brackets of words that they think you might want to know a little bit more of than only that word because the word in Hebrew or whatever actually says a bit more than the word in English and then they want to just add that in. So whatever's in brackets is not word for word. That's the definition or an explanation of the word for word. But yeah. International Children's Bible. Fantastic. Any other questions? Okay. Did anyone pick up a trick or remember something of all that you forgot that you could maybe apply? Okay. Now quickly just share that with the person next to you in 30 seconds. And that'll help you to remember it so that you don't forget about it again. Um, and then you can maybe just tell them how and when you think you'd like to apply this thing that you have heard um, or that you'd like to give a go. Okay. Two by two, you've got 30 seconds each. Go for it. You can take more than 30 seconds. Sorry I said 30 seconds. You can take a couple of minutes. So I'll answer that and then I'll close for us for the evening and you're welcome to then hang around for a couple of minutes and catch up with each other if you want. Um, but let us, if I could just explain the difference between eisegesis and exegesis. Okay, so if you, you already learned the word hermeneutics, now you can also learn the word eisegesis and exegesis. Okay, so... so Exegesis is what you want, and eisegesis is what you don't want. Happy low? Okay. So, eisegesis is when you interpret the Bible to say what you want it to say, and exegesis is when you look at, to, at, at the Bible to see what it says. So, and we do that more than we think. So, we go to the Bible to prove our point. Like, you would want to say, you know, people would, would often say, where, where does it say that you can't sleep together before you get married? I'm sure it doesn't say that. You, you know, and then you, you start looking for, okay, I'm sure it wouldn't, it wouldn't say that. And you go through all the scriptures and you look at where it says what you want, where it doesn't say, and then you build your argument. Or a political party comes to the, to the church and says, find us a doctrine for apartheid so that everybody can believe that it's actually from the Bible. And then they go, okay, cool, let's write a doctrine. And then you go study and you work it out. Um, or say, let's, let's find a way of how we can say that, that we can condone a gay marriage. Then we go and we look for it and we find it. That's eisegesis. I want to prove my point. Sometimes it's less, sometimes just the way you, th you feel about something some doctrine that you feel strong about, you'd go look for the scriptures to prove your 
point that's eisegesis, it's bad hermeneutic. So don't do it. Okay? Exegesis is to say, I want to be open to whatever the scripture has to say. So if you want to go study a specific a specific topic, you, leave, you have to leave your preconceived ideas outside and open up your heart and go to the scripture to see what it says, even though it says something different than what you wanted it to say, to be open for that, then that would be exegesis. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's the heart with which you come to, to scripture with. Thanks, Lo. Thank you, everyone. It was lovely to have you. I hope that you would be in the word. Amen. Amen. <laughs>